Thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for your prayers in preparation for this moment of preaching God's Word. And I want us to go to a story in the Bible of corruption and deceit. 2 Samuel chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn on over there. Did we have a good disciple now? I noticed we've got a bunch of kids over here, four rows of them. We're glad you've been part of a weekend of study. John Palmer is their fearless leader. So we're glad to have those young people in worship. Second Samuel chapter 11. Verse 1 says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent out Joab with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. And so... The word comes that she is pregnant. David calls Uriah, his trusted soldier, one of his mighty men, in from battle. But Uriah is ashamed to be with his family when his men are dying on the battlefield and he will not sleep with his wife. So verse 14 says, In the morning David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah whom he trusted explicitly. David knew how to read and write. I don't know if Uriah knew how to read and write. Even if he did, he would not have broken the seal on these orders. Delivered by his own hand. Verse 15, in it, he wrote, Put Uriah in the front line where the fighting is fiercest, then withdraw from him, so that he will be struck down and die. Joab, the commander of the army, obeys the orders. Uriah the Hittite dies at the hand of the Ammonites. The last verse, the last sentence of the chapter says, but the thing David had done displeased the Lord. Pastor Ed Scott and I cruised Central City Thursday looking for potential church meeting sites. We stopped in the Hoffman Triangle to look at a cluster of new homes that have been built by a nonprofit there. Five hours later, in the streets where we walked, a man named Otis Gray was shot to death. 
yet another victim of homicide in the homicide capital of America. I think the violence in the streets and the violence in the courts are related. I think it is hard for people to obey an authority which undercuts its own legitimacy through corruption and deceit. The Danzinger Bridge conspiracy began after Katrina devastated our city. Police Lieutenant Michael Lohman arrived at the bridge on September 4, 2005, after six people had been shot by his officers responding to reports of gunfire. This bridge crosses the Industrial Canal on Chef Mentor Highway near our Baptist Seminary. When the smoke cleared and the shouting and shooting ceased, two people were dead, one of them a mentally challenged adult. Mr. Lohman realized that it was a bad shoot, he said, when he arrived at the bridge. But now he has confessed to participating in a conspiracy to cover up the facts. He fabricated a 17-page report about the shooting. He participated in a plan to plant a gun under the bridge because police found no weapon on the civilians. He rehearsed the lie with his officers, all by his own admission. Let me read what one of our church members wrote about Michael Lohman. She said, Pastor, I hope you will remember how kind Mike Lohman was to the First Baptist Church family when he was a security guard at the former location. He was friendly and courteous and always there when needed. Many times he and his partner shared our Wednesday evening meal with us. All true. One of the reasons I've decided to talk about this today is my fondness for Michael Lohman and my surprise and sorrow at these new revelations. Now, you're looking at a sinner saved by grace. And I don't have any insider information on what happened at the Danzinger Bridge or any of the conspiracy that followed. But Mr. Lohman has pled guilty to conspiring to cover up the truth. This, along with all the other corruption news that you can read on the front page this morning, or the four editorials in the editorial section this morning, prompt my comments today. I have for years been intrigued by the structure itself of the Danziger Bridge. Those four giant corner posts that lift up to the sky. When you pass it, you wonder, what is this? And it is, in fact, a vertical lift bridge when it was built the widest in the world. 
It lifts straight up on those posts to let marine traffic come and go on the industrial canal. I want you to think about those four lofty posts on the Danziger Bridge. And I want you to ask four questions next time you see those posts. And the first one is this. In a world like ours, who is at risk? David is the sweet psalmist of Israel. The boy in the pasture throwing rocks at squirrels, taking care of the sheep when he gets the call to come to his house to be anointed king. That's David. David is the one who wrote, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And his right-hand man is Joab. His relative and friend. And these two men enter into a conspiracy to lie and kill. The officer of the inspector general assesses our situation in New Orleans like this. Since Katrina, a New Orleans city councilman and the school board president pleaded guilty to receiving bribes. The city's U.S. congressman has been sentenced to 13 years. The city's former chief of technology is currently under indictment for steering contracts to cronies, and one of the city's tax assessors has pled guilty to raiding her charities of money given for the poor. In 2009, a nearby parish president and city mayor have pled guilty to receiving gratuities from those doing business with their governments. A state court judge pled guilty to taking bribes. Another judge was convicted of taking unauthorized reimbursements. Still another removed from the bench and a federal judge will likely be impeached on Tuesday for accepting gifts from lawyers arguing cases before him. There is no criminal class. Ordinary people like me and you make bad decisions. I walked into a cell block in the men's prison in Gatesville. For the first time, the door clanged behind me, and I was alone with these men. And I watched as some of them were pumping iron and others watching TV. And I thought, who are these people in this prison? I inched my way through that group until I got to the door of the space where their bunks were. And when I put my face in the doorway, I heard a sound coming from a top bunk. Brother Crosby! Brother Crosby, it's Steve Thorpe from your church in Gladewater. I was 12 the last time you saw me. I was glad he was there in a way. I thought, well, at least I know somebody in this prison. 
And then I thought to myself, no, I do know who they are. These men in this prison are you and me. They're just like us. We live in a culture that is laced with corruption. We share this corruption with all cultures in all generations. Corruption is everywhere. The human heart is corrupt. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? And he's not talking about somebody else's heart when he says that. He's talking about your heart. The Scripture says, watch over your heart with all diligence. Why? Because out of it are the issues of life. You watch your heart. Educator, businessman, preacher, politician. You watch your heart because it is desperately corrupt. You are at risk. The first question is, who is at risk? And the answer is, you are at risk. I am at risk. We are one bad choice away from the tumble that will change our life forever. We are one little lie away from the web that will entangle us and bring down the house. We are at risk. And if I could say one thing to you today, that's what I would say. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. The devil aims high. He's after you. If you have a position of authority, he's after you. He aimed for David. Walking around in the security of his own home. He trapped him. You are at risk. Good people sometimes do bad things. I will not forget the day that Oliver Thomas ran up to me in the convention center. We saw each other across a wide space and he came running over to talk to me about what happened to him. He was on his way to prison. A man that I loved, whose counsel I valued, who worked with us in so many things as a church, and he is now in prison. Who is at risk? You are. Whatever your occupation or situation might be, you are at risk. You watch your heart. You say, what Am I at risk of doing? That is the second question, the second great post on the Danzinger Bridge. What am I at risk of doing? The Scripture says the woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. She came to him, and he slept with her. You can see the incremental steps that took place as he saw her first. And I'm sure there was a struggle in his mind about, am I going to make contact or not? And finally, he says, well, it's an innocent contact. And he sends someone to ask about her. He took a little step and then another and then another until his entire family 
was entangled in the deceit. God asked Eve after she ate the forbidden fruit, What have you done? God asked Cain after he murdered his brother Abel, What have you done? The sailors asked Jonah in that storm, What have you done? And the scripture says here, The thing David did displeased the Lord. It displeases us all. We're all disappointed, surprised, incensed at this chapter in David's life. I wanted to ask Michael Lohman when I read this first, Michael, what have you done? Oliver, what have you done? Congressman, what have you done? Judge, what have you done? You are in danger of being haughty and arrogant. You have achieved some success. You've been promoted in your field. You have acquired a position. You begin to think that you can take liberties because of all that you have accomplished. David and Joab both are caught in arrogance. As they take down one of the mighty men of Israel's army. Thinking they are above the law. Scripture says pride goes before destruction. And a haughty spirit before a fall. And at the core of corruption, there is an arrogance that despises the law. Pride will tell you you're invincible. You have no flaws. You can talk your way out of anything. Pride will tell you that you'll never get caught, that your strategy is brilliant, that other people are dull-witted, and you can get away with this. You are at risk of being haughty and being swayed by your peers. The day will come, young person, when your closest friends will beg you to do the wrong thing with them. Insisting that in this situation, the wrong thing is the right thing to do. They will tell you you are missing out on life. That the forbidden fruit is beautiful and pleasant. And I tell you, you'll be smarter and wiser if you come along and do this with us. Join in our group now. Come on. They will tell you that the lies and deceit are everywhere. That you are a fool to try to stand for what is good and true in a world like this. And the day will come when you will have to stand alone in doing what is right. And that will be a lonely and difficult day for you. You may be in your office with your head in your hands grieving over the thing you have to do but it 
is right. And you must do it. If you do not do it, if you succumb to the peer pressure and the petitions of your friends, your house will go down in flames. You are in danger of being swayed by your peers. You're in danger of getting greedy. David is the king, for heaven's sakes. He's already got multiple wives, more money than he can spend in a lifetime. He lives in the finest house. You see, it is never, ever enough. That's why the man in charge of public housing who was making a six-figure salary in this city signed him out himself up for Section 8 subsidy. So somebody else could make his house payment, making over $100,000 a year. It's never enough. You think that you'll be less susceptible to greed once your pile is larger? Not so. Not so. There'll always be somebody with more than you. Your future will always feel a little more secure if you can build a bigger barn to store your goods. There'll always be something in your heart that wants the land next to you. What am I at risk of doing? Being proud. Succumbing to peer pressure. Getting greedy. A well-concealed lie. Over the next six weeks. Could garner you thousands of dollars. In taxes. Couldn't it? You got your pen on the form. To fill out the deductions. And to complete your income. What are you going to do? Does it mean enough to you? To put your house at risk? Your soul at risk? Your family at risk? You want it that bad? Don't get high and mighty about the people who have fallen. Watch your own heart. You don't have to look so far to see corruption. All you got to do is look inside. The things you entertain, the thoughts you toy with, that arise from your heart. You understand why the world is corrupt. You know yourself that well. When am I most vulnerable? Third question of those four pillars. 
When am I most vulnerable? Second Samuel eleven fifteen, David says to Joab, put Uriah in the front line where the fighting is fiercest. We want him in the chaos. We want him in the confusion. That's where the devil wants you, right there in the middle of the chaos and confusion because you are most at risk when you are under pressure. Joab is fighting a war. He gets this note from Uriah. He's busy doing a lot of other things. He opens it up. He reads and he realizes the king wants him to kill Uriah. Joab is vulnerable in the middle of this war. If we'd have gone to David and said, David, what on earth were you thinking? He might have said, all the pressures of the kingdom, all the things on my mind, people making demands of me. You can't imagine what it's like to be king. People put pressure on us just as they did on Joab. Circumstances put pressure on us. We're often afraid of failure. When we sense we're about to fail, we're tempted to do desperate and foolish things. We get trapped in circumstances that are not of our choice or our doing. This was true even for Michael Lohman. Trapped in a situation he did not fabricate. This was not something he asked for or wanted. And all of a sudden, here he is in the midst of us. We often make poor choices under pressure. It is impossible for us to imagine the pressure that our law enforcement officers operate under every day. And in the case of the Danziger Bridge, it is the aftermath of Katrina. The pressure is multiplied tenfold. They are armed to the teeth. You can see them with their automatic rifles and their bulletproof vests in the pictures there. They are listening to gunfire in the city. They know the civil order has virtually fallen apart. Looters are smashing windows and breaking into houses. People who evacuated, like me and you, are demanding the protection of their property. The city is flooded. Normal communication is impossible. Transportation has broken down. The sun is beating down upon them. It is 100 degrees. They are working without proper water or food. Many of the officers do not know where their families are. Or if they are okay. And in that circumstance, they're sent to the Danzinger Bridge. And in that situation, their lieutenant follows. One day it will be you in the pressure cooker. You'll be called upon to make a decision in a chaotic, confusing situation. Prepare yourself. Get ready for it. It's coming. The boss is going to send down the order. You're going to walk into it all of a sudden. One day it will be you in the chaos. Get ready. It only takes one poor choice. If you feel a great deal of pressure today, either internal or external, then know that you are in your moment of truth. That pressure can produce and grow more good qualities in you, that you than you will ever develop in a comfortable environment. You believe it? What produces a diamond? 
It's a hunk of coal under pressure and in intense heat. And the scripture so often says, God puts his people in the furnace. Why? To purify them. When you feel the pressure, realize this is your opportunity to flourish and grow and become the person God has called you to be when Esther found herself in a, pl- in a place of pressure and chaos and even confusion. She realized, I've come to the kingdom for just such a time as this. Her uncle Mordecai was correct in his assessment of this. Esther, this is your moment. It is your time. When the pressures build, Dad, you remember, this is your time to shine. Your opportunity to take a great step forward and be the person God has called you to be. That pressure, though, can blur your vision, cause you to panic. And you could, in a moment, make a bad decision. That changes the course of your life. Fourth question. How do I protect myself? Psalm 51.4 is David crying out to God. Making no excuses. Offering no explanations for his ungodly behavior. It is just a psalm of repentance. From a heart that is seeking its way back to God. And in verse 4 of Psalm 51, he says, Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Establish today the transcendent loyalty in your life. One day your loyalties will conflict. And you'll be called upon to choose. What is the transcendent loyalty of your life? If it is to your friends, you'll make a bad decision one day. Even to your family, you will falter one day. There is only one loyalty that can demand your ultimate and unlimited allegiance. And that is your loyalty to Jesus as Savior and Lord. That's it. You've come to this table. You've taken the bread and the cup. You express in so doing your allegiance without limit to Jesus Christ the Lord. No other loyalty will stabilize your life. No other loyalty will bring clarity in the confusion. You've got to settle it now. You get ready before the crunch time comes. There are people in this town who will go to church every week. And leave the building and go out and lie. And take what isn't theirs. How can we do that? 
We are followers of Jesus first and foremost. You cannot know the true me without knowing my allegiance to Jesus. And it must be thoroughgoing. Without exceptions. Organize all loyalties in your mind and heart under this one great loyalty. Your loyalty to Christ. So that you are loyal to friends. But under the lordship of Jesus Christ, you are loyal to your group. But under the lordship of Jesus Christ, you are loyal to city, government, and country. But under the lordship of Jesus Christ, all these other loyalties are temporary and limited. But this one is not. Jesus said to the Father, I do always what I see the Father doing. I always say what I hear the Father saying. It was the secret to a life lived in purity and truth. The, the rule of law means that you personally must submit to the law. That is, the law of God. We talk about personal integrity. This is personal integrity. Jesus is Lord, submitting to his law in every circumstance in my life. So establish the transcendent loyalty in your life and train yourself to make reference to that supreme loyalty in all decision-making. Here and now, learn the discipline of doing the right thing. Develop the courage and wisdom in small matters that you will need in great matters. In all things, small and great, follow Jesus as Lord. Jesus will one day say of you, you've been faithful in these little things, so I'm giving you much more. But be faithful in the little things. Don't discount the little lies, the little untruths. They poison your soul. Be faithful in the little. You'll be given much. Train yourself in your faithfulness to prepare for that time when you will make the decision of a lifetime. Speak the truth in love. In my home of origin, you could get away with some things, but you could not get away with lying. Was it like that in your house? My parents would not tolerate a lie. If somebody lied and they didn't confess, we all got whipped. We had a intranecine rule of law. You told the truth because I'm not going to the bench for you. Honesty is enshrined in the ninth commandment. Thou shalt not bear false witness. And in the character of Christ about whom the gospel says the disciples beheld his glory full of grace and what? Truth. Jesus said to the woman at the well, those that worship the Father must worship Him in spirit and what? In truth. For the Father seeks these kind of people to worship Him. Loyalty to God on the Danzinger Bridge means adhering to the Ten Commandments. You shall not give false testimony. If Mr. Loman had in the moment of decision been loyal to God above all other loyalties, he would not 
have fabricated a lie. I talked to an FBNO member who is a retired NOPD officer. You know what he told the new recruits? One thing will set you free as an officer. The truth. The truth is your best protection and your finest friend in every field of endeavor. I don't know whether the planet is getting warmer or not. I have not developed the instruments to tell. I don't know how in the world you can tell whether the sea is going up or down or the land is going down or up. I have no idea, but I can tell you this. When scientists take their evidence and massage it to come out with their expected result, they poison the results for us all. I have a a scientist uncle who is famous in his field. And he is not a follower of Jesus, but he said to this to me once. He said, there is one thing a scientist must have to be worth anything in this world. He must be honest. And the same is true for an educator, a businessman, a physician, and a preacher. You protect yourself with the truth. Proverbs 11.11 has been quoted much by us. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. I love that text. We've been putting it on our banners. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. I had a question on a talk show Thursday night on radio. And uh, a fellow asked, what are you trying to reform secular society for as a church? And it's a good question. But I'm just doing what Proverbs 11, 11 says. I'm trying to bless the people the place where I live, and the people that I live among. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. But you know what the rest of that verse is? But by the mouth of the wicked, it is destroyed. I don't know if we are more or less corrupt than Chicago and Illinois and Miami. But I do know that our news is full of politicians, judges, businessmen, preachers, and law enforcement officers who are going to jail, or they're in jail, for violating the public trust. The culture in our city desperately needs a new allegiance to God and His commands. This city needs people of faith who take the Lord's Supper to leave this building and live what they just said. And do it every day in every discipline in our city. You say, that's not going to change the city. Well, it'll change your office. It'll change your relationships. It'll make a decision of yours to be true and good. It'll change some things. In fact, if we don't change the inner us, if we don't live what we speak, then we have no authority in the world to suggest otherwise. Our personal integrity and honesty and truthfulness is always the ground upon which we must speak. The way forward for our city is a return to these ancient moral landmarks. We sacrifice honor and honesty when we lose our sense of worship and loyalty before God, the eternal judge of all. We really need to behave in all of our positions as people of faith and truth 
I was surprised. I was surprised that Carlos Rodriguez would sneak out of the St. Tammany Jail by going through the ceiling and end up back in the house of worship where he grew up hiding in the ceiling. Did that surprise you? Here's a man who is accused of murder, who when he finally breaks out of prison, goes back to church, but in the ceiling, hid out. He sees the church as a sanctuary. You know where Joab will die? The commander that is mentioned right here, you know where he'll die? In the house of worship in Israel, they had an altar and there were horns on every corner. And when Solomon issued the order to kill Joab, that was David's dying request to his son. David said, you take Joab out, Solomon. So Solomon did. He sent out the order. You know what Joab did? He ran to the house of worship and he threw his arms around the horns of the altar. And they found him there and they came back to Solomon and they said, Joab is hanging on the horns of the altar in the house of worship. And Solomon said, kill him there. That's where they caught Carlos. That's where they killed Joab in the house of worship. Everybody in the room, let's get quick to the place of worship, to the posture of worship, to what heartfelt worship is really all about. Let's get back to God as quick as we can. Those of you who are dealing with decisions and you know there are moral issues involved, get to the house of worship as quick as you can. Get your heart right with God. Kneel before Him. Find out what God says in your situation. Those of you who are in the pressure cooker, get to the house of worship as quickly as you can. It's the place where peace can descend on your life. If you're confused, get to the house of worship, to the place of worship, to the posture of worship. Get on your knees before God and find in God the solace and strength and wisdom that you need. Do not ignore the one place where there is consolation and refuge for you in this world that's full of chaos and trouble and pressure. Get yourself before the God who loved you and made you. And if you feel like, I'm, I've lost it all, I've burned it all, the house is already gone, get back to the house of worship now. Maybe you feel like it's all over for me. No, it's not. There's a God in heaven who loves thieves even when they're sitting in the electric chair. Even when they're about to get the fatal injection. He's there waiting for them to turn their heart toward him and say, God, here I am. I'm coming to you without any excuses, without any explanations. I just need you. There's not a person in the room for whom it is too late for the grace of God to touch your life. There is forgiveness, restoration, strength, and a new hope at the altar of God. Let's bow together. Heavenly Father, we pray today that your Holy Spirit will guide each one of us to the place of worship and in the place of worship make plain the direction you're calling us to take. For each one of us, we pray, 
that you will find an allegiance without compromise. A loyalty to Christ that parallels his loyalty to us. Father, we pray that you would rescue the perishing, care for the dying, lift them in pity from sin and the grave. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.